Good evening and welcome to the Journey Church. It is my pleasure to be with you tonight. We are continuing our study on the flesh and the spirit, and tonight we are actually going to finish it. We have been studying this since the middle of August, and uh, through, uh, oh, COVID-19, couple of surgeries, hip surgery three days ago, we just haven't been able to get finished. And tonight we're talking about self-control. It's the very end of this uh, study. And so if you'll join me in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 16. It says, I say then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, and hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So finally we come to the last virtue listed by Paul that is found in a person who is walking in the Spirit, thereby producing what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. And this last virtue, of course, is self-control. Self-control, your King James Version would say temperance. Temperance. In some ways, one might consider this virtue the most important. For without self-control, the works of the flesh cannot be overcome. I think that doesn't take a lot of logic or reason to understand why someone would say this. This is the principal virtue. For without self-control, the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit are just simply not evident. And so, what exactly is self-control? What is the text speaking of here as we finish this marvelous series on the flesh and the Spirit? How can one develop this virtue of temperance, this virtue of self-control? Well, it's a question I'm going to attempt to answer. And I want to do it in a couple of ways. Number one is defining self-control. Defining self-control. The Greek word here is egkratia. Egkratia, it comes from the word kratos, which means strength. It means strength, and it means one holding himself in. One who holds himself in. Uh, another definition is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Yet another definition says uh, where this virtue subsists, temptation can have little influence. 
And so immediately we can see why this virtue is so necessary in overcoming the works of the flesh, such as fornication and outbursts of wrath that you read about in verses 19 and 20. Now it's only found three times in the New Testament. The first time is in Acts chapter 24, verse 25. This would have something to do then with the law of first mention. We would get its understanding of meaning from how it is used the first time it appears in Scripture. So that's always known as the law of first mention. And it is included along with the term righteousness and judgment. The word follows righteousness, which represents God's claim. Therefore, self-control is man's response to such claims. Let's just go look at it real quick. That will help us. Acts 24, 25. Acts 24, 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So notice, in, now it has no context here whatsoever as it is used in the fruit of the Spirit, but we can see something from what it is bookended with. Self-control is bookended on one side with righteousness and on the other side with judgment. So it can be included alongside righteousness and judgment. In Galatians 5.23, it says, Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Well, here we see it as evident of one walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. That's how it is used here, but I said it was used three times in the New Testament, and the third time is in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now that would not make a whole lot of sense, considering that's 1 Peter 1, verse 6, so I'm going to look at 2 Peter 1, 6 and see if that helps us out a little bit better. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Now that sounds like the right address. So here we learn that it is added to knowledge. It follows knowledge suggesting that what is learned requires to be put into practice. Well, we're to learn righteousness. We're to do uh, things with justice that requires knowledge in all of that put together. It would seem to me we have a picture then of this word self-control as it is used in the New Testament. It is being in control of oneself. In, in context of the Scripture, the control of self so as to be in harmony with the will of God. So if you're going to write anything down about it, write that down. It's to be in self-control to the degree that you are in harmony with the will of God. Now that, that is really important. I might not do something and call it self-control. I'm controlling myself. I'm denying myself something. I'm, 
I am, I, I am doing something that I should do that I don't want to do. I'm exercising self-control, fortitude, perseverance, all of those kind of things. But this word self-control here means to be in self-control according so as to be in harmony with God's will. So the self-control spoken of here is in harmony with God's will. But it is a whole lot easier to define than it is to develop. Wouldn't you agree? I would say so. It's a whole lot easier to define than it is to develop. So let's talk about developing self-control. We've defined it. Now let's see what we must do to develop it. The Scripture describes the difficulty of self-control. For example, the wisdom of Solomon declared it is easier to capture a city than to be in control of your own spirit in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Just as controlling the tongue is a difficult challenge, failure to bridle the tongue renders our religion useless according to James chapter 1, verse 26. It's easier to tame a wild animal than our own self-control, it says in James chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Self-control is easy to define, but it's hard to develop. But develop it, we must. However, in Christ there is strength to control the self. Consider the dilemma described by Paul over here in Romans chapter 7. Join me there if you would. In your copy of God's Word, we want to look at Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 14. In verse 14... He says these words, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, and what I will to do that I do not practice, and what I hate that I do, even then I do what I did not do. I agree with the law that it is good, but now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is to... Pre present, I'm sorry, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do it, but the evil will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then this law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord." I can only imagine what my high school English teacher would have done with that paragraph if I had written it. That can seem to be rather confusing. Paul basically says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I ought to do. What help is there for a wretched man as I whose mind wants to do the will of God but whose flesh does not he says, O wretched man that I am in this body of death, but thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is a dilemma that is experienced by every follower of Jesus. 
every person that is called of God to believe, the elect of God face this dilemma. Uh, it is one trying to do the will of God, and yet we try to sometimes do the will of God outside of Christ, and then when we do that, all we have is the law. So a dilemma experienced by one trying to do the will of God outside of Christ, having only the law, and then there's a dilemma that leads to the inability to perform what we, one wishes despite the will to do so. As he says right here in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. He talks about being in a state of captivity to the law of sin in verse 23. He says, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And the condition is one of despair. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Remember, the wages of sin is death. But however, in verse 25, we see the glimpse of hope. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, that is the dilemma described by Paul that is all too common for you and I. And the answer is stated very clearly here in our text in verse 24. It says, And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now this does not deny the fact that there is still a battle going on. Look at verse 17 in Galatians chapter 5. He says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But those in Christ have undergone a fundamental change in a way that is difficult to comprehend. Nonetheless, the Bible says they have crucified the flesh. If you go over here, it's kind of a theme of, of Paul's. You look over here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So it is a fact. It is, it is, it's a fact that has happened. I may not feel it. I may not be able to observe it. Uh, but I'm still called to self-control. Those in Christ have crucified the flesh. Paul says, I have been crucified with flesh, but with Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the passive action, having been crucified with Christ. And then here in this passage, he says, those who are in Christ have crucified. That's active action. That means I do the crucifying. So I have been crucified and I'm crucifying. I have been crucified in the flesh and I am crucifying the flesh. And this took place when we were united with Christ in His death, in His baptism. For it says in Romans, go back over here to Romans, this is the, the great declaration of independence for us. Romans chapter 6. 
In our baptism, our body of sin is put to death and crucified with Christ, as it says in Romans 6, verses 3 through 6. It says, Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were, buried, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that this body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And when we are raised from the watery grave, we rise to walk in the newness of life. As it says in verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. In verses 12 and 13 it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness of God to God. Now this does not mean we're no longer tempted to sin, uh, but in some significant way we're free from its dominion. We're free from its dominion. He goes on to say down here in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Can I get an amen for that? Amen indeed. For those in Christ, there is the added strength as they walk according to the Spirit. Yes, we enjoy freedom from condemnation from sin. Over here in Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But there is more freedom also from the power of sin, freedom from the law or the principle of sin and death, as it says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So this law, this principle of the Spirit of life in Christ provides this freedom, this, 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 this principle of the Spirit of life in Christ. And the context suggests that this Refers to, aid, refers to the aid of the Spirit to help us overcome the deeds of the body. To overcome the deeds of the body. Look at verses 11 and following in Romans 8. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Going on, it says, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. But yet there's more. The, the Apostle Paul writes over here in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says in... Uh, Verses 16 and also verse 20. He says this, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with the might through His Spirit in the inner man. And in verse 20, He says, Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be it. And so... 
since you have been made alive in the Spirit, as it says in John 3.5 and Titus 3.5, should you not also walk in the Spirit? That is, utilize. Listen, that means to simply utilize the help that's there, the Spirit of God. You'll walk in the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. By the help of the Spirit, will you not defeat the lusts of the flesh? Of course you will. And so rely upon the help that has been given to you by the Spirit of God. So then what is our responsibility? We're talking about developing this self-control. It describes how difficult it is. We, we see that there is strength to control the self through Christ and the Spirit. But what then is our responsibility? We have responsibility. We live in an age where people... You know, people want to fix the blame instead of fix the problem. I've always been one of those who says, let's not fix the blame, let's, let's fix the problem. And being a leader, I realize many times I'm to blame for many things. And sometimes I'm not to blame for them, but I know this much. As a leader, I'm responsible. I'm responsible. And one thing is absolutely certain is I'm responsible for this passage of self-control as it relates to me. No one else is. And I can't blame anyone else either. I'm responsible. So what is our responsibility as we approach this idea of self-control? Well, you might want to write this down. First, you need to trust in God's Word that is by His grace. You need to trust in God's Word by His grace. That's the first thing. Your responsibility is to trust in God's Word that by His grace our old man of sin was indeed crucified with Christ at our baptism. That's Romans 6 verse 6. That's what the Bible says. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. We trust God's Word and that by His grace we did indeed crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That's Galatians 5.24. It's what the Bible says. And that by His grace that God can indeed strengthen us by the Spirit in our inner man. We read that just a moment ago in Ephesians 3 verse 16. And then the most misquoted Bible verse, probably in all of Scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through any scripture taken out of context. There's a funny cup and shirts and there's a group of folks together that notice that Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The only thing is that passage is taken out of context to the abuse of heaven. It is not only misabused, it's disabused. And some of us just kind of laugh and say, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Dear friend, let me tell you, there's a whole lot more to Philippians 4.13 than what one thinks. God is able to help us do His will. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is the all things that he's talking about in Philippians 4.13? He's not talking about you can believe that you're going to ace your exam. He's not talking about that you can do all things and pick up all the right numbers on your lottery ticket and win it. 
He's not saying that, uh, you know, you can do all things and that souffle is going to come out of the oven absolutely perfect. And you quote Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13, all things that is being referred to there is the will of God. And again, remember, we're talking about self-control here. Self-control as it relates to the will of God. That I, that, that I am walking in harmony living in harmony, thinking in harmony, believing in harmony, acting in harmony, praying in harmony, speaking in harmony with the will of God. So I can do all things in the will of God according to the power of Christ that works within me, that strengthens me. But I cannot do anything I cannot do anything outside of the will of God and, and, and ask Christ to strengthen me. Why would I want to do that? When this text says both in Romans and in Ephesians and here in Galatians, I have crucified the flesh. So I figured something out in my hmm, uh, 30 plus years as a believer. Uh, if it's my will, it's not His will. That's just a pretty good, pretty good formula for me. If it's my will, it's not His will. And if I want to walk in harmony with His will, then I need to walk in harmony with what His Word teaches. I need to walk in harmony with, with a crucifying my flesh, both having been crucified and crucifying it, both passively and actively. And so that with God's help, we can do all things according to His will. So first, trust in God's Word that by His grace the old man of sin has indeed been crucified with Christ in our baptism. We indeed crucify the flesh with the passions and its desire that God can indeed and strengthen us by His Spirit in our inner man and that God's help, through God's help, we can do all things according to His will. But number two... With such faith, continue the process that was begun at our baptism. Baptism is an indication of our profession of faith. Jesus Christ saves, not baptismal waters. Jesus alone saves, not sinners' prayers, not the works of men, not the sacrifice of the, not the sacraments of the priests or the sacerdotalism of those who profess it and practice it. No, it is Christ alone. But in our baptism, we recognized, and we, we recognized in ourselves and, and proclaimed to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ, having been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. And so, as it says in Romans 8.13, since I have identified with Christ, having been called to believe, having been chosen before foundations of the world to have faith, then therefore I put to death the deeds of the body. That's Romans 8:13. And I put to death our members here on the earth. Look at with me at look here with me at Colossians chapter 3. It's right after Ephesians and Philippians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, look what it says. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
verses 8 through 9, it says, But now you yourselves are put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we put on the new man, a process which also was begun at our baptism when we identified at our when we identify as followers of Jesus, as it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. A process which continues as we grow daily. You can cross-reference Colossians 3, 10 through 14. Work as though it all depended upon you. That's something else you should learn. You need to learn and work as if it all depends on you. Philippians 2 verse 12. Somebody, well, throughout my career, people have made comments, I know to me and other preachers, as to why we use notes when we preach, as if somehow preaching is this event that we can just come up here and open our mouths and unprepared and feed the people of God. The Scripture says to show yourself a workman approved. I can't show myself a workman approved of God without jotting down the things that He gives to me. I'm just not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. And I don't have the faith enough to do it. Uh, I would rather have notes than stumble over myself in a bad memory but I also do my notes for a reason. I write my notes because I do it as if it all depended upon me. That's why I don't use electronic notes. I use paper notes. The battery has never gone out on these notes yet. But I work and I do my ministry. I execute the ministry with notes that I fashion together to help me to depend as if it all depended upon me. But I will have you know then in the time we've been together, I could have read this manuscript to you in a little less than six minutes. That we've already been together for 30 minutes and about 30 seconds. In Philippians 2 verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we need to work it out as if it depends on us, but remember that we are not alone, that it is God that is in work in us too, for it says on Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So in conclusion, as one cooperates with God in doing His will, self-control will be a natural byproduct. It'll be a natural byproduct, the evidence that one is walking in the Spirit. And we cannot overestimate the importance of developing this self-control in our lives, for without it we cannot defeat the temptations that come our way. Without it we cannot overcome the works of the flesh. Without it we cannot grow as we should in Christ Jesus.
and without it we cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. Yet in Christ we have every reason. We have every motivation to develop this virtue of self-control. Why? Because we have been set free from the dominion of sin. It is a settled fact in heaven and of God. We have the aid of God through His indwelling Spirit. We even have the assurance of forgiveness that when we fall, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Knowing that as long as we're willing to repent and turn away from sin and self and trust God and turn to Him and try again, there is help from God. And so here is the key question as we conclude this long series of messages do we trust the Lord enough to help us walk by faith and to do His will? Will you walk in the flesh or will you walk in the Spirit? Which will you choose? It brings us to the end. I hope that in some small way we have encouraged you to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that you'll choose the Spirit over the flesh every time, and that the overriding reason for doing so are found in the words of Paul who says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Since God has made us alive by the Spirit of God, shouldn't we seek to walk in such a way a way so as to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, to produce love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. It has been my pleasure to share this series of messages with you. I hope that you will lean on them as a resource at Transformative Truths. It's our podcast, or you can find it on www.yourjourneyonline.com slash messages or on our Facebook page. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. It's a privilege to serve you. God bless you and take care.